Welcome to Institutionalized, Living After Deconstruction and Promoting Mental Health. I'm your host, Josh T, and each week we'll dive into interesting topics and bring you stories from fellow travelers on the road of life. In this raw, accepting, and sometimes hilarious space, we'll ask the questions we weren't allowed to ask, challenge norms that keep us stuck in the past, and actively listen to perspectives that might be different than our own. And if we listen carefully enough, we might learn something that helps us love ourselves and our neighbors better. This is Institutionalized, Living After Deconstruction. Hey, welcome to Institutionalized. I'm Josh, and I'm here with Freddie Feely Jr. He is an amazing author, and we connected a few years ago. Uh, shoot, probably was four years ago now, wasn't it? Randomly. Yeah, it has to be. Yeah, randomly on the internet about our our pursuits and writing and all that kind of stuff and the books that we had, and we shared books and has become a great friend of mine since then. And uh, Freddie, welcome, man. I appreciate you doing hey. this. Thanks. Hey, no problem. And thanks for letting me be the first person out of the house. Yes, we were keeping it in-house for a second. You know, had to make right. sure. I, you know, we grew up in the, uh, you have to have your house in order or you can't have anything to say uh, environment. Right. So, which is actually kind of not the way it works in real life no one has their house all the way in order and all that kind of stuff and what is having your house in order anyways <laughs> we lived under enough of that i think that's a tagline i yeah. think as an adult i've realized that i don't have it going on any more than i did when i was a kid and i think if children knew that they would be scared shitless uh the only thing that separates us is the driver's license and the ability to vote and <laughs> we are faking it till we make it and in and a way we, we're all every, just those little kids still deep down right yeah absolutely like there are times like i'm 42 years old and like in situations i've never run into before i go find another adult like an adultier adult like an old person <laughs> <laughs> like what do i do here <laughs> in this what, circumstance what really gets tough for me is when an adultier person is my 19 year old daughter. She's being more adultier than me. So I'm like, I really need that to check my myself and my inner child right now. See what's going on. Right. Well, right. tell us a little bit about what you do, ma'am. So I'm uh, a writer. Um, like we talked about, I've got eight books out. I'm working on a ninth one and it is like a slog because during COVID I thought I'd have all this time to write and i just went through trauma like everybody else during mm. that time so zero done i'm an associate producer on a documentary called 1946 um that's out in uh you can stream that right now uh we'll put up the links afterward yeah i suppose for people to see that put you the guys links like in the show notes right and i'm a husband i'm about to be a father um really yeah, I'm about to be a dad, and I do outside construction in my spare time. <laughs> nice. Well, you're an amazing writer, and that's how we connected. Uh, the first book yes. I read of yours, Hallelujah, with Kim Fielding. Are you working with her again on this one? Did I uh, see that? She's she's my she's she's awesome. I love Kim. So yeah, we've got a couple of things in the works. Her and I talk all the time. So 
yeah it's just me being undisciplined as hell at the moment and uh yeah i'm sure we got stuff in the pipeline that was something with covid that was uh the book specifically that i'm talking about that he wrote with kim is called hallelujah i'll put that in the show notes too um yeah definitely check it out it's a great book a lot about deconstructing religion and uh being a gay man born into religion and that was something mm. that was really fascinating to read from my perspective because mm. it made everything so personal like so mm. i loved that tell us a little bit about your experience growing up in religion and stuff so my dad is a former independent fundamental baptist evangelist say that five times mm. fast and growing up in the church, like even before the gay thing, like it, it's sort of a mixed bag, right? Um, I have a lot of really fond memories and a lot of not fond mm. memories. And that's sort of the insidiousness of it all yeah. is that it is just sort of melded together in this big lump. And there was a lot of abuse, a lot of physical abuse uh, for about 15, 16 years a lot of physical abuse there was a lot of mental abuse and emotional abuse and there was just it was a very abusive environment um i consider it looking back um cult is not a legal term it, it's a term that people use and have used to compare people like jim jones and and stuff like that because cult is very difficult to define mm -hmm. but it's a word that people understand like right off the top of their head and my father was an acolyte of Jack Hiles from Hammond, Indiana. Jack Hiles was a cult leader. He was a Jim Jones type um, out of Hammond, Indiana, in the First Baptist Church of Hammond, Indiana. And my father revered him. And Maya Angelou said, bless her heart and God rest her soul, that people live in direct relationship to their heroes always and in all ways. And that was very much true for my father. He, Jack Hiles ran my house via his reputation, by his books and sermons. And it was hell. Jack Hiles often preached about beating children as young as uh, infants in the crib. Now, do you I think break, he quote, break their will? Break their will. Like a, a human being is a horse, <laughs> you know? And Jack Hiles had no child psychology degree. No, he wasn't even a doctor. His doctor, most doctors that you run across, if for those who are seeking to go to church, if your doctor's calling himself a doctor, make sure that degree is accredited, you know, and not yeah. just his paper. Well, it's but, not yeah. just the unaccredited ones. It's, you got your honorary doctorates. The yeah. ones that didn't do anything except for preach for a long time. And we just bless them with a doctorate. Yeah, you, you got to be careful. You know, and I think people in, in their good nature just see that and just assume, never assume, not when it comes to people and stuff is, is deeply held as religion. But yeah, um, that was my life. And I kicked out of it in when I turned 18 and ran like hell and have been, uh, I'm not so much running anymore. Um, I'm running back towards it now in my own way to combat it and um be a voice of reason as mm. much as possible um so yeah 
That's, so how would you describe life. running back toward it? Like, Just what do you mean by that? confrontational and, and engaging. Um, a lot of what I grew up with in my own writing, um, I chose fiction because it's just easier to process for me mm. and throwing characters who, who have similar situations like hallelujah um, into the fantastic because it's, it's easier for not only me to use that as a sandbox to sort of play around with those feelings, but the truth is stranger than fiction. And I think in a lot of ways, if I were to sort of throw all of it together in a book and say, all this happened, people would tell me, I don't believe you. Like yeah. it, it was too, like, it's just too much. Yeah. And I think I, it's almost like I have to dilute it some. So it's people can deal with it so yeah. that I can deal with it. The, uh, the realities of some of those institutions. I know Hiles was intense. I was, I grew up at Tennessee temple and Highland park Baptist church and they kind of, went away from Hiles and the sword of the Lord a little bit and ended up being kind of a place without a country. Um, the most independent of independent <laughs> fundamental Baptists, sure. but at Hiles, it was almost like there was no voice of reason to check Jack Hiles. And when power gets so monopolized at the top like that, it's a recipe for abuse. Well, of course. And then, you know, looking back, Hiles never preached about Jesus. He never preached about salvation. He preached about Jack Hiles. And it was just a 50,000 member circle jerk, you know, <laughs> and he pumped out Hiles, Hiles, um, soldiers. He referred to himself as soldiers or he referred to his people as soldiers and, and stuff like that. And it was just, just, just all sorts of crazy. I remember singing that song, Onward Christian Soldiers Soldier. Marching. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. like, even in like in the pledges and stuff like that, like the ways yeah. that we were just being trained. And that's one of the big sure. things that I've been really struggling with uh, is indoctrination, like the, the fact. And now it's like research based that people who are raised <laughs> in fundamentalism are less likely to be able to have cognitive flexibility. They mm -hmm. aren't, they don't have the neuroplasticity. There's damage mm -hmm. to the prefrontal cortex and they can't change our mind and how harmful that is not just for religion, but to have black and white thinking in your relationships, in your, your interactions with other people mm -hmm. in your businesses. Like there's so much cognitive flexibility that you have to have. And when you have everything laid out for you right there by the Bible and the preacher, like, right. There's nothing else to learn. And it just seemed to me that growth just stopped. Well, it's a lack of faith, isn't it? And I'm no expert, uh, you know, for your listeners, I, I don't hold a degree in criminology, nor do I hold a degree in, uh, goodness, military tactics or whatever. But fundamentalism, the nature of fundamentalism is not religious. It is political. Mm. And it's often used by the religious, for, but they're using it for political purposes. And, you know, when I saw on January 6th, the, the invasion of our government, I saw that Christian flag hanging there. And I immediately in my head said, I pledge allegiance to the Christian flag. I pledge allegiance to the Christian flag and for the Savior for which it stands, one Savior crucified, risen and coming again to bring life and liberty to all who believe. Because I know that flag, you know what yeah. I mean? And, and all of that sort of 
I, I looked at it and said, holy shit, there, there's 20 years of my life being culminated at the steps of Congress. And this was coming. It doesn't yeah. matter who, it was on its way. And I was really taken aback. But fundamentalism, when you look, look internationally, look at what's happening in Israel and Palestine right now, look at what's happening that has happened the world over. Um, certainty addiction is another term for mm. it. Like you said, they lack that neuroplasticity. For me personally, going to college in my mid-20s was extraordinarily difficult because I had to learn how to challenge those old thought processes. Mm. And that is not easy. You know, that's not easy coming out of certainty and making yourself comfortable with the unknown and with the mystery of life and the mystery of faith and dealing with this idea of God and the universe and how you relate to it. Nobody has the answers and it's you have to learn how to be comfortable with the with the phrase, I don't know. Yeah, that's a phrase that, that I don't hard. think I ever heard it growing up. Yeah. I don't think I ever heard anyone in authority say I don't know. My grandfather is a old school fundamental Baptist pastor. And uh, he asked me to come over and talk to him a little bit because a few of the things that I said around the dinner table raised a few red flags, I guess. And um we talked about faith, we talked about doubt, we talked about struggles, and he really did a great job listening. He's nine ninety three years old. And, uh, right. I asked him, I said, I don't believe in hell. And mm -hmm. do you think that my salvation is contingent on me believing in hell? Like mm -hmm. whether Jesus would love me or not love me or accept me or not accept me is my salvation mm -hmm. contingent on whether or not I believe in hell, because I just cannot believe in this concept and believe and think that God is love period. I don't get it. I'm not cognitively able to. And he sure. says to me, he looks me in the eye, he pauses for a second and he's like, I don't know. First time I ever heard that right. and about something like that. And it was so liberating, right? Like, it was the opposite of disorienting. It was like, right. Oh, right. Well, good. That's, that's right. good. I don't know if my own personal journey, and there's that stupid word again. I hate that word. I, I'm old enough to remember. I'm old enough to remember when people went on journeys and then bored you with the slideshow afterward. But in my own progression, that's a better word. Through go. trying to deal with this idea of God and faith, and I've had to set a lot of that down, just out of. I don't want to talk about denominationalism anymore. I don't want to have debates over the Bible yeah. anymore. I don't, I don't care. I don't care about the hem length of a girl's skirt and the, the shortness of a man's haircut. I think that's all just a sad ass excuse to not do the things that Christ told you to do. Mm. I think denominationalism is nothing but a distraction. It's a yeah. way to keep people and I'm over it. Like I'm, I'm so over it, buddy. I can't even begin to tell you like, Give me, if, if I'm going to be anything, just give me Christ. Let me have the unadulterated, unrestrained, unchanging, unwavering love of God. If anything outside of that is, skip me with it. Mm. Let me have that and I'll, I'll let you play around with the rest of it. Cause I just, I don't have time. 
yeah. for anything else. You know, that ought to keep us busy enough. You know, and that's where I'm at completely. Not because I want to backslide, not because I want to <laughs> sin. I'm, I'm just, I'm tired of your bullshit. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm sick of you, you know? Like, these questions of denominationalism and biblical translations and all of this stuff just seems like a way to skip out on the bill when it comes to you know like what have you done for me like what are you doing and i just think it's a horrible horrible distraction and there, you know there's so much so much of that like different interpretations of the bible uh denominations will say they have the literal interpretation and they know exactly yeah. what it means and all that stuff but they'll totally disagree with each other but nobody disagrees on what jesus was about right like, there aren't very many people that disagree that jesus was about love he was about not greed. He was about, you know, the meek, the others, and our denominations so often other the people that Jesus would have been accepting. Yeah. And to me, that's like, how in the world can something be true if it puts this many people on the outside mm. that that don't get to be in the club and don't get to receive the love, the acceptance? from the people who are supposedly godly like it doesn't make any sense to me <laughs> because i think at the end of the day i think grace is offensive mm. i think it offends people kind of like student I loan debt like student loan debt how about grace is heavenly welfare yeah <laughs> or heavenly unemployment oh but how those words are so bad jesus was a capitalist he was all about meritocracy right, right? right. Yeah, it was <laughs> But how about the same grace you need is the same grace I need, but your circumstance, you know, your circumstances, you know what you're about, you know, what's going on in your life. But, and so those, those things are valid, but that person next door who might be a single mother with eight kids and seven baby daddies, or might be a homosexual or might be a, whatever the case may be, you think that them having that grace is offensive to you. Uh, and I think that's what it comes down to, you know? And a lot of churches that I've been in all start looking quite similar to one another, you know? Yeah. And, I, I, I worked and, in Baptist, Church of Christ, Church of God, and Catholic. And I think that you've been in all of these different denominations as well. And that was something that we kind of... Yeah kind of vibed on they all are they all end up being the same machine just a different different yeah. words i mean I, i'm 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 not mocking the holy spirit in anybody's life to to zero extent if if you get what you need from the institution that that you're in um you know rock it out but it's just it oftentimes in in my experience power is is such a seductive thing and people fall for it and it's it's just a dangerous 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 place for families it's a dangerous place for the individual when your leadership is more interested in cultivating and maintaining power than than troubles coming you know it's not yeah. far behind that's something yeah. that uh when you when you designate your denomination as the one that knows the certain truth and all that kind of stuff, there's a certain power and supremacy that comes with that. And I think that sure. that's just not, hard to hey, get away from. 
you're not going to say what you hate. Yeah. You're not going to reach out to what you hate. You're just not going to. And what's interesting is even intra denominations, you know, intra denominational hatred to other churches. Jack Hiles hated Jerry Farwell with a blue passion. That's so hated ironic. That the irony just, there is it, so thick. You couldn't make it up. Yeah. And we were like that too, even in our own neighborhoods. Like I, you know, being a kid, I would point out, oh, there's, you know, North Line Baptist Church. But and they were always like, well, they're not real Baptists. <laughs> they don't. And it's like, what the hell does that mean? Jesus is not as much there as it. And it's those just silly, silly arguments. You have that like same that. thing now a lot in the political climate is they're not real Christians. Yeah. You yeah. know, we'll we'll excuse whatever, you know, we'll excuse the machine of Christendom because the people that are doing that aren't real Christians. When we're not talking about the theology and the things that they believe that almost lead them to acting in certain ways that, you know, to exert control or, you know, oppress or excommunicate or any of that stuff. Okay. Getting yeah. back, to, getting back to the movie that you produced, I think it's a good segue for, uh, you know, talking about how the Bible in church has been weaponized for decades against the gay community, the LGBTQ community. Tell us a little bit about the movie. So 1946 is about um, the committee who was put in charge of translating the King James Bible into a more modern context to get rid of the archaic language. And the committee that was tasked with it took two Greek words, arsenikoitai, which means man bed, and malakos or malakoi, uh, which means soft or effeminate, or it was sort of like that airs F word, the faggot, you know, mm -hmm. that Malico sort of, you know, but, and it also had a list of, of culprits. Like if you ate too much good food, if you seduced a man's wife, if you read too much, you were considered Malico's, okay. you know, because the entire area is Hellenistic, um, Roman Hellenistic over masculinized society so that that was sort of their way to put you down and so they co combined arsenicoitai and malakos together to create homosexual and they mm -hmm. brought them not create homosexual homosexual is a 20th century uh clinical term but they brought those two together and used homosexual sort of as its pairing and um they had their archives at yale university and two intrepid researchers ed um kathy baldock and ed whose last name is like completely skipping my mind i apologize ed ed oxford duh <laughs> um went to the archives at yale university and combed through it and found a letter by david fearon a small town quebec church of canada priest who wrote to the committee and challenged their interpretation hmm. And he said, uh, your interpretation is not accurate. Uh, homosexual, homosexual is a first off 20th century clinical term. And the committee listened to him. There was some back and forth between the head of the committee and this, this little no-name pastor out in, who cares, Quebec, you know. And unfortunately, the committee was already locked in contractually and couldn't make any updates to it. Hmm. But as soon as it released, they went and changed homosexual to sexual pervert. 
And so it's, it's about that journey. It's about, you know, going through those archives and, and we challenge it not only in the modern sense, but in the, in the, the original sense, we pull in the, uh, biblical scholars, theologians, and secular academics to talk about this word, especially Ars Mekoitai. That word appears twice in ancient Greek literature, two times. And a lot of people think that it was the Apostle Paul who coined the term. Um, it, it appears in uh, Corinthians, and it appears in something called the Second Sibling Oracle. And in both times, in both instances, it's in an economic or it's in a, a list of economic sins. So they're not talking about an overarching sexual ethic. A lot of the theologians think that in his letter to Corinth, which by the way is a port city, it is Vegas of the Middle East at, at the time period. What happens in Corinth stays in Corinth kind of thing. Okay. But he's telling he's telling the people to keep your toga on. You know, don't be like the temple prostitutes don't engage in that keep your clothes on and arsenokoitai could not only be levied at a man for sleeping with a male prostitute it could be levied at a woman for sleeping with a male prostitute mm. and so it gets into that language uh, we have rabbinic scholars in there we have an orthodox um rabbi who talks about the earlier passages in the old testament about sodom and gomorrah and stuff like that. But yeah, we definitely get in there and, and challenge Which was the tech. A lot more about hospitality than it was. Yeah, it's absolutely about hospitality. It had nothing yeah. to do with homosexuality. You know, yeah, the interesting thing to me about Sodom and Gomorrah is how like Lot was this doesn't seem to me like he was a good guy. Like, oh, he was nice to the, no, the angels that were there, but he offered his daughters to yeah. to to be raped and then just left. Ended up leaving. See, that's the another city. perspective, right? We, we we obsess about homosexuality, but where's the women standing up and yeah. saying, "He's going to throw his two daughters out to the wolves"? Like, how is that okay? And it's just a footnote. It's like we don't even yeah. talk about that thing. Yeah. That's a massive, horrible thing. And then you wonder if those are the same two daughters that he ended up trying to further seed with later on. It's like, man, these girls had a rough. Yeah. And nowhere in the Bible, like we talk about people that have oppressed women that all this kind of stuff in the Bible, they'll even talk about it later as them being a hero of the faith. Like yeah. there's, have you heard the story of Jephthah who mm -mm. went out, they went out to, uh, they were at war and he was like, God, if you let us win this war, I'll, I'll sacrifice anything to you. When I get back, the first thing that I see when I get back to my land will be my sacrifice to you. It right. was his daughter. Yeah. So yeah. he let his daughter go live for about a month and then, ended up sacrificing his daughter to God. And in Hebrews later on, all the way in the new Testament, it says Jephthah was a hero of the faith. Mm. And I'm like, look at the story of David and Bathsheba. Yeah. Bathsheba has, has been wrapped up as the enemy. She was the temptress. She was, she was following the law. She could not go into her house on her menses. She could not go in without a bath. You can't bathe on the first floor. They didn't have indoor plumbing. So she went onto the roof where it was safe for her to follow God. And here's David, who sees her, lusts after her, and as the king, takes her. Now, when you want to discuss power dynamics, that's as big as King David, yeah, he raped her. Yeah. That was rape. And now you'll have 50 million 
white Protestant. Oh no, 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 bullshit! You do, you do it and see what happens. I've heard. I've actually heard Bathsheba preached against that she was out there tempting and she shouldn't have been where she wasn't supposed to be. I am right, and you know that's that's one of these things that the the treatment of women in the Bible and all that stuff. Like it, I just have such a hard time saying why can't we actually evolve and prosper why do we have to be stuck in some of these archaic things people will say oh it's you got to look at historical context cultural context well then don't tell me that the bible is perfect and infallible then well and that's that's sort of the thing josh like i whether you deal with the the gay thing in the film i think the larger question that the film presents sort of silently is that the bible is just so much more than what we've been told it is yeah. right first off it's not a book that agrees with each other it's not get that out of your head it is not a book it is a library of books and getting that to agree with each other is like you go into your local library and telling your librarian to make every book in her library agree with each other that's patently absurd mm. and so here you have a library of books written over an extended period of time so chock full of history and anthropology and language and art and all of this stuff that is that is way beyond the black and white of the page you have a treasure that is just waiting for you if you want to get into it and there are people out there theologians and academics and historians that want to teach you exactly what's in these pages and how it would have been interpreted by the people who heard it. You know, the word gospel, for instance, is loaded. It is a loaded word. It means good news, but it was something the Romans used as yeah. a military. It was a gospel. And just the use of those words, how subversive that is. That's incredible. You know, it just all that stuff, it makes the hair on my arm stand up. <laughs> but it, there's just so much more there that I wish that's my hope for the film that people see the film and start to question everything. And we're in the 21st century. There ain't no excuse no more to be a dumb dumb. Yeah. Well, get it, in it. Have fun. <laughs> Debate it like the Jews do. Well, that's like, yeah. Debate. The Hebrew tradition, what they all get around the dinner table oh, and yeah. argue about the Torah. <laughs> I am all about it. I am all about it. You know, yeah, we you know Christianity is hewn from the tree, the uh, the Judaic tree. We're not a separate entity. We are attached to the tree of Israel, whether people want to acknowledge that or not. We are an extension of our Jewish brothers and sisters. Like we really maybe ought to be more like them. Freddie, so so where would you say that you are now with your faith, buddy? I've 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 gone looking for faith and faith not fear you know i started reading um rachel held evans and she led me to nadia bowles weber mm. and i've been reading so much other perspectives on christianity and faith and so where am I now? I am a 
I, I call myself a practicing Christian because there are days when I'm just garbage, but I try to love others as God told me to and letting that be my touchstone. You know, Micah 6, 8, is it? Walk humbly with your God. And that that's where I'm. Um, as far as denominations go, you know, I am a hybrid Lutheran Catholic. I'm definitely a, um, a liturgical Christian. Um, what does that, what explain that? I'm not sure what you mean by that. So, uh, liturgy, I, I've gone into the, uh, the history of the church, the, mm -hmm. the traditions, why we have them, um, who, you know, the fathers of Christianity, because there were, um, and considering what they debated and how they talked and how adapted and hewn, like I said earlier, to the, the tree of Judaism that we are and why liturgical Christianity looks the way it does because of that connection and that history. What you see in liturgical Christianity is really Jewish. Um sort of brought through the ages um sounds like a little bit of a stripping down of all the baggage it's it's a lot of and this is the pop it's deconstructing it's getting yeah. rid of the american capitalistic mick jesus version that we were force-fed mm. and in that i have found myself becoming comfortable with the idea of i don't know and allowing the mystery of the faith and the mystery of God to, to be a mystery and not trying to plug every single hole with quote unquote evidence. I think, yeah. you know, I think Americans for the past 150 years, especially since biblical literalism, which by the way, is a brand new thing. It's not old time religion. It is new. It is a 20th century invention as as well as the rapture the rapture is not old-time religion yeah. either that is a 20th century invention if you look up men like dl moody that i've i've gotten away from the literalism you know and and just began to appreciate myself the world around me and the fact that we're all writing our own gospel in God's really big book of how awesome he is, you know, and mm, everybody you put that quote unquote journey is specifically tailored to them. And I, I think it, I, I think it, you know, Josh, I think when Jesus came to earth to save man from sin, he also came to earth to save himself from his own reputation mm. that man had force fed. You know, I think, his being on the cross was him saying, I'm not as bad as you think I am so much so that I'll let you kill me to prove it. Mm, wow. I haven't thought about it that way. That makes a lot of sense you know, because the old Testament is so like, I can't hardly read it without seeing the, uh, right. this is what those people thought about God. Yeah. And then stopping there, like this isn't necessarily right. what and God is, like, but it's what these people right. in this time thought about God. Yeah, God's like, that's not, that's not me. That, uh. That's not me. 
you know, and I think throughout the ages, God was trying to prove himself that he wasn't like the gods of old, of, of the time period, the Zeus's and the Thor's and the, all of those, those very human, very angry, very human in a bad way type of gods. Like he was trying to prove that, no, this is not who I am, you know? And I think it got so mired down that he was like, yo, I have to go down there because these people are crazy, you know? <laughs> and try to redeem his his self and his own reputation yeah and i think that's you know look at the way god presented god's self in a cradle and on a cross he didn't come you know with chariots and all that mm. other stuff he came in as humble and stayed humble and i think that's what christianity needs today is a dose of humility to realize that you're not the center of the conversation you're part of the conversation, but you're not at the center and that God is God and you are not. Mm. And I think that people really, really, really could use a dose of that. Yeah. That's, that's and I, kind of leading into my next question. Right. Uh, if you could tell the church or American Christendom anything and it actually sink in, what would it be? That you were loved beyond all reason. That you cannot be good enough. You are already good enough for God. That you don't have to cultivate this quote-unquote ideal self for God to love you. He loves you where you are, as you are right now. No matter what you've done, no matter what you've been. Because knowing you already, he still allowed himself to be crucified. Because he thought you were good enough for it take that and walk through your life knowing that you are loved no matter what and yeah. treat others that way and you'll be okay it's so much easier to treat others that way when you are feeling loved when you're <laughs> well, when you're not feeling loved it's so hard if you if you don't think you don't matter if you think you don't matter go get involved if if you're trapped in your own head and you can't see a way out and you think nobody depends on you and nobody cares about you go go and get involved go to a soup kitchen mm -hmm. go buddy and you'll see just how much needed you are and that there's redemption in that there's salvation in that over and over and over and it happens over and over and over again it's not just one event and it's not if you never have it you're going to go to hell it is humanity reflecting its creator you know and we're both writers you're a fantastic author you do as you were created to by an artist you know you create mm -hmm. that thing that saves humanity again and again and again and again and humanity can't help itself it does what its creator did. Yeah. And it, there's redemption in that and there's salvation in that. And there's finding understanding and like-mindedness and man, all of that stuff comes directly from God. That For sounds like good life. news. That's good news. It's good news. It's gospel. Yeah. I don't know and how the gospel got to become there. such bad news <laughs> for so long. Like, How did we become so, so dogmatic? I know. Like, how did we become so uber serious? Like, part of the Bible, there's funny stuff in the Bible. Like, 
I'd love me some snarky Jesus. When Jesus tells Herod's messenger, you know, why don't you go tell that fox I'll get out of here when I damn well please, you know what I mean? Like that's yeah. hilarious. That's funny, you know, and there's just so much more to it. And there's so much more to you than people who desire power and desire to suppress you and desire to manipulate you will ever let you know. And there's people out there that want to teach you. It's there. That's something I definitely learned in uh, in my mental health uh, crisis and everything else is the closer you get to that worth inside you, that's where the healing comes from. Yeah. Uh, the more and, you, you know, get to that love, that, that center. And for those who were who have been so hurt by the church that they have a hard time even considering it. Oftentimes, I heard Nadia Bowles-Weber say this, oftentimes the source of the poison is where you find the cure. Mm. If the Bible can be used to manipulate and repress and suppress and dominate, then the same book can be used to liberate. It's in there. It's both and. Yeah. <laughs> or can yeah. be both and. It can be both and. I love that. Hey, thanks for coming on this podcast, man. Thanks for having and, me. I'm super yeah, proud of you. I can't wait to get your uh, stuff in the show notes. And I really hope that movie gets out to the masses. Like that's, I, I mean, watching it, I mean, I teared up. Yeah, it's uh, mercy. It's Rocky Rogio is, is a good egg. She is, you know, I think the Christian church has turned out prophets after prophets after prophets. I think they've, I think the church in the 20th century, especially has turned out mystics like i i just believe that i i believe that i believe things, they've things are out. definitely changing you know like phyllis tickle talked about every 500 years or whatever like sure. things are changing and yeah things are changing yeah people are starting to figure out some things that weren't helpful at all and things that are and you know your focus on love and loving yourself and loving others i just don't see how we can go wrong there like what, what does the rest of it matter like you said it's a distraction if you do what christ tells you to do you'll be too busy mm. you'll be too busy that's true that's true you ain't got yeah. time for any of that stuff you don't you just don't have time yeah well man thanks so much for coming on freddie we're gonna do this again yeah. um you, i Absolutely. hope you can be like a recurring guest Absolutely. I am here for it. I'm here for you, sir. We could talk about this all day. Yeah, we could. This is Institutionalized, and I'm Josh, and that was Freddie. And uh, y'all be easy, and we'll see you the next time. Bye, y'all. <laughs>